All right, I want to tell you guys about one of the best scams I ever pulled in high school, okay? So one of the best scams I ever pulled in high school, I, it was in my chemistry class. Now, I, my brain, I don't understand chemistry. I, saw, like, I sat through that class for a year. I passed the class. I don't know how I did it. It was just, it, I, I, those of you that are good at chemistry, you, you should rule the world. I just think, I don't know how that works. And so what happened in this chemistry class, I had a teacher, and she was a pretty tough teacher. She was a really good teacher. Her name was Mrs. Bound. And what Mrs. Bound required was that each quarter, we would take notes in our notebooks, and we would turn in the notes to prove that we were paying attention in her class, okay? So she wasn't like, just take notes. She was like, you got to turn in your notes to prove you were taking the notes. And so one of these times where it was getting close to uh, having to turn these notes in, I can't, my backpack legitimately got stolen. I'm not just making that excuse up. My backpack, I left it out somewhere at the school and someone just stole it, okay? It was a great little Jansport lifetime warranty. They probably still have it. And so my backpack gets stolen. I come to class. I realize I have to turn this in. And I say, Mrs. Bound, I'm sorry. My backpack got stolen. And she goes, oh, sure, Anthony. Okay, your backpack got stolen. I go, I, it got stolen, so I, I can't turn in the notes. I'm sorry. I promise I did them. And she goes, no, listen, listen you still have to turn in the notes. And I go, oh, oh, okay, how? And she goes, I want you to take one of your classmates' notes, and I want you to copy them down, and then turn them in. So I had this great idea. I said, okay, Mrs. Bound, what you're saying is I can take my classmates' notes, and I can copy them and turn them in to you. And she goes, yes. I, and this was in front of the whole class. I'm like, I just want you to say that in front of the whole class, that I can take Lindsay's, let's say it's Lindsay's, Lindsay's notes, copy them, put my name on it, turn it in. Are you sure, Mrs. Bound? Mrs. Bound, she was very exasperated with me a lot of the times. And she was, yes, of course, Anthony, be quiet, sit down. I said, okay. Now, what Mrs. Bound didn't know, this was crazy back in 2003 or 4, whatever it was, I had access to a copy machine. That was uncommon <laughs> for a 10th grader or 11th grader, whatever I was. So I took Lindsay's notes, and I literally Xerox copied them, crossed her name out, put my name on them, and turned them in. I was in class while she was grading everybody's notes, and she comes to mind, and she sees a staple together, Xerox copied of Lindsay's notes, put my name on it, and she was like, ah. And I saw her face. It was like, you know, at the end of the movie where you figure out that, like, he's been dead the whole time, you know, like her, oh, that's why he made me say it in front of everybody. And she, 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 go, she probably said, Mr. G, why, why? Why like this? I said, Mrs. Bell, you said I could copy them. And so I copied them and I turned them in. And she goes, what? and I, I didn't get full grade. On those, I got a lower, probably a lower C. And I knew, I knew my plan wasn't going to work, but I also knew I didn't really want to copy somebody's notes. And so I just did it that way. I knew it was going to work, though, because I knew Mrs. Bound. I knew her really well. She was a great teacher. She knew chemistry really well. She was a hard worker. She wanted us to be hard workers, and she tried to instill that in us, and she was not about cutting corners, which my high school career was about cutting corners. And so I knew that she was not going to like it because this was not her way of doing things. This was not the way she ran her classroom. So why am I telling this story? What does it have to do with today's word? Here's what it has to do is what we're going to see in today's text is, is all these people have different ways of doing things. But it's not the way that Jesus does them. And I think a lot of times we as people, we watch how Jesus does things and we just ignore it and we adopt our own ways of doing things. 
Like, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that idea is that we follow him. We are like him in this world, in our place, in in our, wherever we exist. But I think too often we adopt our own ways of doing things. And that's what we're going to see today, is that there are different people that adopt their own ways of doing things, and it's just not the Lord's way. We, We have these different cultural statements that we say at Redemption. And and the idea of these cultural statements, well, you see one of them as you come in. All of life is all for Jesus. The idea of these statements is that that we would say them so that we would embody these things, that we would embody these big theological ideas, and that, that our church would look like these different statements. And so one of those statements is, we are called to do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Okay, and this is one we don't get to talk about enough, but the idea of it is Jesus had a way of doing things. And too often as Christians, we choose our own way of doing things because we think the ends justify the means. Because sometimes we see different goals and we have different goals in mind and we say, well, yes, that's a godly goal. So if I get to that goal, it doesn't matter how I get there just as long as I get to that goal. Right? An example of this is, I've been on a, a whole bunch of mission trips, and very often on mission trips, I love mission trips, I think they're great, but very often on mission trips, it does not matter the quality of your evangelism, but it matters the quantity of your evangelism. And so sometimes I've noticed on different mission trips, people are just kind of trying to share the gospel with as many people as possible, and they're really kind of uh, watering it down or making things muddy. And so the quality of their evangelism, the quality of proclaiming who Jesus is and what the gospel is, goes down. So I would say that we are called to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, and, and the Lord, for the Lord, our Lord, ends don't justify the means. And so today in the text, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus' brothers. We're going to see the crowds. And then I, I think the leaders within the crowd all have a different way of doing things. And Jesus' way is totally opposed to their way of doing things. And this is what I want us to do. As we go through the passage, I don't want us to go, ha ha, Jesus' brothers, ha ha, the crowds, ha ha, the leaders. I would never do that. I want us to examine our own hearts and go, do I have a propensity for some of these different ways of doing things, these human ways of doing things, rather than looking to the Lord's way of doing things? And my hope is that we would be discipled into the Lord's way. This is a, as you read the whole Gospel of John, you're going to see the Lord's way. So this is just a, today is just a snapshot of some of the things that are the Lord's way. But I hope that we're discipled into the Lord's way. And if you're like, I don't know if I want to be a disciple. I don't know if I want to go. I would just ask that you would look at the Lord's way and see how marvelous it is. How big, how grandiose, how different it is than our normal human ways. And just begin to chew on that, wrestle with that. Okay, so let's turn to John chapter 7. We're going to, break, we're going to read John 7 verses 1 through 24 today. And we're going to uh, break it up into three parts, okay? So first, what we are going to see is the brother's way versus Jesus' way. John chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to read through verse 10. It will be on the screen as well. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. 
So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Okay, so his brothers... And if some of you go, oh, I didn't know Jesus had brothers. There's actually a little bit of debate about this uh, in, in, within the broad spectrum of Christianity. But I think Jesus had brothers. And so his brothers, Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, had, had some sons. And these are Jesus' brothers. So his brothers go up to Jesus and they say, hey, we've got this great idea. There's a big feast coming up. Everybody's going to go there. If you don't know what the Feast of Booths is, the Feast of Booths was a celebration where they kind of like got in little tents, little booths that they made, and they, they remembered how God provided for the people of Israel when Israel was wandering in the desert. And it's just interesting that this feast is taking place right after Jesus was talking about manna and different things. I just think that's interesting. But anyways, these brothers come to Jesus, and they say, hey, go to that feast. Do your Jesus stuff. If you're really doing it, and let the world see, this is great. This is how you should do it. And then John notes, well, they didn't really believe. That's why they were asking him to do it. And you're like, huh, what, what? And we'll get back to that. But that's just an interesting note that John, the author, puts. So Jesus responds to the brothers. And he goes, listen, and I think this is something he must have said to his family a lot. He goes, my time's not yet fully come. My time... It has not yet fully come. He said that to his mom earlier. And then what he does is he gives a good sibling burn. I don't know if anyone can burn each other as well as siblings. I don't know if you, I have three siblings, and it's way too easy how quick mean fire comes out of my mouth towards them, even I'm 33. It's sad. And so I'm not saying that's what Jesus was doing. But Jesus points to what's going on. He goes, my time has not yet come. Your time's always here. What Jesus is saying is, my steps are ordered by my Father who's in heaven. Your steps are crazy. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do whatever you want. Go up to the feast then. He then says, listen, the world hates me. It's not going to hate you because you don't care. I I call the world out for its sin. You aren't going to do that. So this is what I'm about. That's what you're about. You guys go that way. I'm not going to go with you guys. And then verse 10 makes it seem like Jesus lied. Like Jesus is saying, I'm not going to go up to the feast with you. And then, like, however much longer later, he goes, okay, I'm going to go up to the feast secretly. It feels like he's lying. But what we have to know is John was showing us that Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not going to the feast at all. all. He was saying to the brothers, I'm not going to go up to the feast the way that you guys are going to go up to the feast. The way that you want me to go up to the feast, I'm not going up that way to the feast. And right here, with these different comments that John is making, I think what we see is the brother's way versus Jesus' way. 
The brother's way is this, simply, they want fame. They want accolades. They want to be well-known. Is this, like, really distracting, the speaker right here? You guys can be honest. Maso menos, a little bit. I can switch. I don't know if, this, if any of these mics are long enough. Will this... Curtis is going to change the channel. Sorry, guys. All right, we'll see what happens here. Uh, the brother's way is this. They want fame. They want accolades. They want Jesus to be well-known. It sounds like a good idea to me, if I'm honest. I'm reading it, and I'm like, hey, I want Jesus' name to be known throughout all the earth. This makes sense to me. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus' way is not chasing fame, not chasing accolades, not proving himself. Jesus' way, what we see there, is knowing his Father and what his Father's about. Jesus' way is being so connected to his Father that even the timing in which Jesus does things is going to be connected to his Father. Right? I wonder even if when Jesus said, hey, I'm not going up to the feast, I wonder if he hadn't realized yet that the Father was going to say, hey, I want you to go over to the feast. These are the mysteries when Jesus is fully God and fully man. These are just mysteries about him. Should I go for it? Sorry, everybody. This is why we say we're a family, so we could get away with doing stuff like this. <laughs> and the Bible says it. Hold on. I'm going to switch back to this. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Maybe worse. All right. I'm All right, we'll figure that out later. Jesus' way is rooted in intentionality because he's rooted in his Father. We have to remember that the Gospel of John really builds upon itself. Back in John chapter 5, we saw that Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. The brother's way can exist in any way, any time, any place because they are not connected to the Father. Jesus' way, the Lord's way, is rooted in a deep connection to the Father. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to follow his way, we have to examine ourselves and go, are our ways about fame? Are our ways about accolades? Is that what you're chasing after? Is that, are you, are you trying to make a name for yourself? And I think it's easy, like, a lot of us are going, well, I'm not trying to be, like, an Instagram influencer or anything. Like, I'm not really trying to do that, Anthony. But, but how much of your life is rooted in deep connection to the Father? How much of what you do is rooted in your, in your relationship with God? And how much of your life is, just involves you making a name for yourself in some way? 
right? You might not be trying to chase uh, fame, but I think a lot of us, we, we, every, all these decisions we make are trying to make a name for ourselves, whether it's for our parents or whether it's for our friends or whether it's for society. There's so many of us that are trying to make a name for ourselves, and that's just not Jesus' way of doing things. Jesus' way is rooted in how he's connected to his Father in heaven. That's what Jesus' way is about. His brother's way was about fame, making a name for themselves. They, were, they wanted to ride on his coattails. Jesus' way is rooted in an intentionality going, my time has not yet come because he was listening to the Spirit, through, his Father through the Spirit, really, about which way to go, when to go, how to go. And so Jesus does end up going to the feast, but secretly. Okay, let's see how this keeps going. John chapter 7, we're going to be verse 11 now. We'll see how Jesus' way is different from the crowd's way. Verse 11 is this. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is, is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own, on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who, who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Okay, so now we get, to, we get a little look into the crowd and how they do things and who they are. They've been hearing about this Jesus. And so everybody's kind of talking about Jesus and they're going, where is he? Where is this guy? And they're going, well, what do you think about Jesus? And I'm going, I think he's a pretty good guy. He makes really good bread. Like, I, I really, I like this Jesus guy. But then others are going, no, no, no. He's leading the people astray. And I feel like, I hope if I was in that crowd, I'd be like, by, by giving us bread? Like, what? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get that. But, but instead, they... they they're afraid, and so they go, no, well, okay. So Jesus, who, who went up secretly, he goes into the temple and he begins to teach. He begins to teach these marvelous wonders. And the leaders there, they'll know, and the crowd goes, how does this guy know anything? Because back then, you see, there was easy ways to tell if, if someone had authority or not. Basically, what rabbis did back then, the teachers of the law did back then, they would build up this world for themselves, and different people would come to them and say, hey, can I be your disciple? And how those rabbis would determine if they could be their disciple is, could you pass on my teaching? And so there was different ways for different rabbis to show what sort of rabbi they are, what school they were part of, by what they wore, who they were. And besides that, I think Jesus probably just really didn't look like a typical rabbi. And so the crowd goes, how, how is it this guy, how can, he, how can he teach so well if he's never been to school? And Jesus responds to him and he goes, I can teach this way because my father 
has taught me. I'm just teaching what he told me to do. And then, and then he kind of challenges this rabbinical system uh, of passing on your teachings. And he goes, listen, all your guys' stuff is about building up your own authority. My authority doesn't come from myself. My authority comes from God, is what Jesus is saying, to that crowd. He's confronting their way of doing things. So he, we're seeing here what the crowd's way versus what Jesus' way. The crowd's way is simply this. The crowd's way is fear of the crowd. The crowd does things in fear of each other. That's the crowd's way. They're going, what do you think? I'm only going to think what you think. And then if there's some people angry, I'm going to change my mind. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm afraid. And how can this guy have the right teaching? Because he's not part of our crowd. Like what is, they, they fear each other. The crowd fears the crowd. That's the way of the crowd. They want human approval. They're afraid to not have human approval. That's the way of the crowd. And I think, I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to that. I think that probably all humans in every time and place can go, man, I want human approval. I want human acceptance. I want the crowds to not scare me because they accept me and approve of me. I think that's been probably in most humans' hearts, in most times, in most places, and when I look out at our society, I feel like it's very rampant. There is a crowd out there, outside of the church, that, 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 that we all want approval from. We all want to be accepted by. Here, here's what's insidious about our culture. There's like 10,000 crowds, actually. There's not just one crowd out there that we want their approval and our heart yearns to be accepted by the crowd out there. There are like 10,000 crowds and what we all do is we pick our favorite crowd and we look for acceptance from that crowd. We fear the crowd, we just pick which crowd we want to fear. And unfortunately, this fear, I, I think it's seeped into the church. I think it's seeped into the church. And now our fear of the crowd and what the crowd says determines what our faith looks like. Are you hearing that? Like the, there, there are crowds outside the body of Christ determining what our faith looks like because we like those crowds and we want, their, we want acceptance and approval from them and we're afraid of those crowds. There, there are crowds outside the church determining how we follow Jesus. There are crowds outside the church determining how we read scripture. There, there, there are crowds outside the church that are determining what we think virtue and righteousness is. And we're all we all have a propensity to pick one of those crowds, go with that crowd, and let that crowd be our lens for understanding Christ and Scripture when Christ is our lens for understanding Scripture. 
Some of you are, I, I know some of you are really excited about what I'm saying, but it gets messy. Like we could just go, oh, out there, it's bad, whatever. Like it gets messy because this is why it gets messy. Sometimes the crowds are right. This is where it gets messy. Sometimes the crowds are saying something that is a correct way to view the world or even a correct way to view Jesus. That's what I believe about Scripture is I think pretty much anybody can go to it and understand it. I think you really need the Spirit to understand it fully and completely. But I think there is an, an aspect of Scripture where Jesus is just revealing himself to everybody and everybody can kind of understand his message even though we need the Spirit to really work in our hearts to understand it. But sometimes the crowds are right, and then we kind of fall into two camps of crowd-pleasing. The first camp is this. We hear that the crowds are right, and so we decide to change our ways or change our views on something. And then the crowd is happy with us, and we did it out of a heart of wanting the crowd to be happy with us. Not out of a heart of loving the Lord, of fearing the Lord of wanting his ways, of wanting to worship him. Right? So sometimes we are doing the right thing with the wrong heart motivation. Like what we are functionally worshiping is not Jesus, but it's the crowd. So we do the thing that even Jesus might have us do, but we do it so the crowd worships us. Right? Some of you are going, yeah, Anthony, get those sheeple. I know some of you are excited about that. Here's what I want to say. If you use the word sheeple, I want you to listen to me right now. The crowds are also right sometimes to you. And you have to deal with that. Because sometimes, as Christians, we've missed something. We've become blinded. But for whatever reasons. And the crowds are right but because the crowds are not my crowd that I really like, which again is a crowd outside the church. We're going to condemn everything all the other crowds do, even when they're right. And what we'll do is we'll search scripture and we'll search for speakers and we'll find people that tell us what we want to hear because we like the crowd we're in and we don't want the boat rocked and we want the approval and acceptance of that crowd. And then a whole lot of us operate in ways where we don't follow Jesus fully because we're afraid of what the crowd's going to say and what the crowd's going to do. Fear of the crowd is messy. Because I could say, fear of the crowd is all just this one thing. But based on our temperaments, based on how we grew up, based on, on what's going, what our heart wants to worship, we fear the crowd in a whole bunch of different ways. But that's not the Lord's way. The Lord doesn't live in fear of the crowd. The Lord lives knowing that he is fully accepted and fully loved by his Father. So the Lord lives for his Father's glory, for his Father's name. So that when the crowd contradicts what his Father says, 
he can call them out on it. When we hear what the crowd says, and it's different from our Father in heaven, and we're afraid to not be accepted by the crowd, we can rest in the fact that because of what Jesus has done to save us, we're fully loved, known, and accepted by the Father, by no work of our own. So even though the crowd might be pointing out all these things and we have this draw to do what they want, we can have a secure heart in God. And when the crowd calls us out and they're right, we don't have to act insecure and just say, no, 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 you're not. Plug in my ears, plug in my ears. But we can go, oh man, that, that's true. I need to repent. And I can repent and turn to my father because he fully loves and accepts me no matter what. It's not based on what I do. It's not based on me achieving. It's because of what his son did that I'm fully known, loved, and accepted by the Father. And so the crowd's way is fear of the crowd. My prayer for our church, I really hope you guys are listening. Because I think sometimes if I preach things like that, each of us go, yeah, I know who's doing that one thing. I know who's that. I know who's that. And, and too often we don't go, what is my heart doing? What am I worshiping? Because sometimes there is a high cost to rooting out the idolatry in our hearts. It means we have to admit we're wrong. It means we have to admit we're not quite righteous on our own. It means that even people outside the church sometimes can call us out on our sin. That's the way of the Lord. Knowing that we're fully and accepted by the Father. So we don't do things for the crowd and we don't do things in fear of the crowd. I hope that we let that soak over our hearts and we begin to realize the ways that we want human approval from the crowd. Okay, let's look at the leaders in the crowd, leaders in the crowd and their way. Now, the reason I say they're the leaders, and this is going to be in verse 19, the reason I say they're the leaders is because they're reacting the way the leaders throughout the book of John have been reacting. So I'm pretty sure these are the leaders in the crowd. It could be the crowd too, but let's just say it's the leaders because they're echoing the same things that they were saying in previous passages. Verse 19, I cut Jesus off half mid-speech, so I, I was being rude, but this is what... Jesus says, verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's, who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So, so Jesus begins to confront the leaders in the crowd. 
And he's confronting their way of doing things. But what he says is, don't you guys believe in the law of Moses here? He's like, you know, this is the temple. I, I think you guys believe in the law of Moses, right? The Bible. And then he just goes, what? so why do you want to kill me then? Now listen, this is kind of a funny thing. I think what Jesus is beginning to do is he's beginning to reveal that he's Jesus. I don't think he's been like, hey guys, guess what? I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're all talking about in the crowds. I think Jesus wants to reveal who he is to the crowd by revealing what's in their heart about Jesus. And he knew that in the leaders in particular's hearts, they wanted to kill him. So he goes, all right, the way I'm going to reveal myself, why do you guys want to kill me? Which what you do in that situation is go, is there anyone I want to kill? That's, this is maybe him. <laughs> like, that's what you would do. But instead, the crowd probably mixed with the leaders are going, what? I, I bet the leaders were definitely like, ah, oh, he, this guy has a demon. We don't, like, they're just, what are you talking about, man? And I bet there was just also some confused people in the crowd being like, we were just listening to you. <laughs> like, what are you saying? Like, we don't want to kill you, man. And so, Jesus then reveals himself more by revealing how they interacted with him in John chapter 5 when he healed someone. And he points out their way of doing things, and he points out how it is logically inconsistent, how it's biblically inconsistent. So what he says is he goes, listen, you guys believe in circumcision, right? That's great. There's a Levitical law. It says circumcise on the eighth day. And so when the eighth day falls on a Sabbath, you guys circumcise the kid. Fine. I, on the Sabbath, saw a man who couldn't walk, and I talked, and he could walk now, and now you want to kill me for it because you think I worked on the Sabbath. Jesus is going, you are missing the point. You are not understanding scripture rightly. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, okay, you heard this law and you go, on the Sabbath you'll circumcise a kid, but on the Sabbath I talked and a guy stood up and that's work. And when Jesus says, judge, don't judge by appearances, but judge rightly, you know, I just, I think Jesus is going, come on, get real. In Jesus' challenge to them, we see what the, crowd, what the leaders of the crowd's way is. The leaders of the crowd's way is self-salvation. Here's what I mean. The leaders of the crowd are convinced that if they just do the right things, in the right order, at the right times, in the right ways, they are good enough to stand before God. Right? Another term used for this, it's legalism. Is where people are taking things and commands the Bible says and say, if you don't follow this perfectly to a T, you have no right before the Father. In fact, you have to do this perfectly to a T, or you have no right before God. That's the crowds, the leaders of the crowds' way. That's their way. Legalism, self-salvation. They are convinced they can save themselves. 
Jesus points to his father's way, which is his way. Jesus goes, I I made a guy whole, completely, on the Sabbath. And not only is Jesus saying what he did, he, he is reminding us what the overarching narrative of Scripture is. That God is on a mission to restore all things. That's the overarching narrative of Scripture, that God is on a mission. And there might be more, and you might debate that idea, but it is at least a major theme of Scripture, that God is on a mission to restore everything. That sin has come into his good world, it has messed things up, and so God himself is going to come down, and he's going to restore everything. And so Jesus, challenging their way, goes, you'll still circumcise, but you won't be part of God's grand mission to restore all things? When God is clearly giving grace to this man by healing him, you're against it because you think it's breaking God's law. Church, I'm afraid that sometimes in a heart of faithfulness, which is a good thing, we become like these leaders in the crowds where we convince ourselves that if I just do all these things, I'm saved. And what, again, what is really scary about this is a lot of us are convinced, no, I'm just being faithful. And I think that if you really examined your heart, if you really saw what you were trying to do, if you really looked at what you worshiped, you'd realize No, you're doing these things so that you can say, no, I'm righteous. No, I'm good enough. I can do this. One of the most controversial messages of Jesus is you're not righteous. You're not good enough. I've had many a friend who I grew up with in the church who stepped away from the church, and that was the thing for them. I said, I can't. I can't believe because of that. But it's true. But I wonder if some of those friends saw how we took God's good commands and turned them into legalism and turned them into self-salvation. And they say, yeah, I can't ever do that. There's no way. Jesus' way is God restores. Not we restore. God restores. Now God in his spirit works through us and we become ministers of reconciliation. We're part of that restorative movement. But we only do that because God restored us to him. The Lord's way is a way of restoration. And I think some of us have been blinded by our own legalism. I think some of us have been blinded by our own self-salvation. Christian or not, I think Christians are blinded. I think if you're here, you're not a Christian. I'm thankful you're here. But I think you're blinded by it too. I think you think you can reach God on your own. That you're maybe a little bit better than the average person. And that's just not true. We're all a mess. We're all sinful, and we all need salvation from Christ. And so, here's my hope. 
I hope that as we look at how our Lord is about restoration, even on the Sabbath, which seemingly broke a Sabbath law to them, I hope that we would recognize the ways we are blind to God's evident grace and restoration in here, in this body, in this city. I'll be honest. I have examples of where we've fallen short in this way. I have examples of where we've been legalistic. But I don't want to say them because they're too personal. If you think we don't struggle with this in this church, you're wrong. We do. We have to rest in the fact that we're accepted and loved by the Father and our Father is on a mission to restore all things. That doesn't mean we don't live out the commands of Scripture. We do as an act of worship of what he's done. The commands of Scripture are so important to us, but we never take the commands of Scripture and begin to worship them for our self-salvation rather than the Lord. The Lord's way is so different than our way. The Lord's way is so different than humans' way. His brothers wanted fame and human approval. So do we. The crowds are afraid of each other in all sorts of ways. So are we. The leaders of the crowd try to save themselves. So do we. But that's not the Lord's way. That's not what the Lord has for us. May we be a church that recognizes that if Jesus didn't do things in this way, I don't even know if he would have went to the cross. Like if he, if he did things in the human way, I'm not sure we would have the good news of the gospel, right? Like part of the reason he went to the cross, he went willingly, but part of the reason he went is because the crowd said, what you say is not right and not okay, and so we're going to kill you for it. If Jesus was afraid of the crowd, he may have never gone to the cross. If Jesus didn't see how deadly sin is for us and how badly we can't save ourselves, the resurrection wouldn't mean as much. The resurrection is Jesus declaring, I have life and I can give it to you and you can't get life on your own. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's a major theme of John, that he has life, we can't get life on our own, and we need him to give us the resurrection. And he showed by he himself resurrecting from the dead after being killed because the crowds didn't like him. Church, may we be a people that do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your son. Thank you that he showed such deep connection to you. God, help us. Search our hearts. Help us to know you better. Help us to know what's going on in our hearts. Help us to know where we're worshiping things. Help us to know where we fear crowds or we've picked a crowd or whatever it is, God. Help us to see who you are. God, we need you. 
Help us to live knowing we're fully loved and, loved and accepted by you. Help us in, in the moments where we feel afraid of the crowd that we would not be afraid because of what you've done. God, just help us. We need you. Amen.